Welcome to the Doxa Dialogue podcast. My name is David Rudy. I'm the pastor at Doxa Church, and this is a podcast about living life on mission for the glory of God. Today, I have a friend of mine with me, Pastor Ben Gordon from Hope Baptist Church. And Ben and I go all the way back to college. We both grew up in Illinois. We were in the same school. We were in the same hall. And we haven't seen a lot of each other, heard a lot of each other for a while. But with everything going on in our country right now, I reached out to Ben and I said, hey, man, I'm sorry. It's been it's been something like this that's going to pull us together to talk a little bit. But I asked him to come and speak to us about race, uh, about racism in our country, about how a Christian can respond to what is happening, what we see, how we can listen, how we can change and, and make a difference. So, Ben, thank you for joining us. Yeah, man, it's good to, to be here. Thank you. Uh, thank you for you know inviting me. I look forward to you know, our discussion here. So, Absolutely. Can you just tell us briefly a little bit about your church, where you're at right yeah, now? Yeah, so... I am a pastor at Hope Baptist Church in Greenville. The community's called Nickeltown. It's actually a historical black community yeah. in Greenville there. Um, been the lead pastor there for about a few years, three years, I think, last week, actually. Excellent. Um, and I was associate pastor before that. I'm bivocational, so I work 40 hours for UPS as a sales rep and pastor there at the church as well. I have yeah. another pastor on staff who I love dearly, uh, uh, Wade Cohen. He's our associate pastor, and we just, you know, That's pastor amazing. as a team there. Um, and, That's you know, so I have good. a wife and yeah. three kids, and uh, we're just serving the Lord faithfully and wherever God places us. Absolutely. Well, thank you for making the time tonight to have this important conversation with us. This yeah, is This is a treat. Of course, of course. Well, we're going to dive right into this because this is a heavy topic. It's, it's something mm-hmm. that... We could talk. We we could have multiple sessions, yeah. right? Like, right. Um, so we're really just going to scratch the surface here today. But I think it's important to start out by defining our terms and and really to get a proper understanding of what what we mean when we say racism or or any of these right. surrounding issues. So could you just how would you define racism to start off? No, yeah, that's super important because that's that's a, a you know critical part of the problem there with, you know, people coming with two different working definitions of what racism is, what it looks like. Um, So I'm just going to state kind of working definition and then kind of expand upon that. But um, I would say it's like any explicit or implicit belief, you know, attitude, behavior, action that expresses hate, prejudice, discrimination, or bias against another race or ethnicity. And that's based on a belief and that could be explicit or mm. implicit that your race or ethnic group is superior. And uh, I would say that there are at least two forms of racism um, that you see. There's uh, people would add a third, but uh, interpersonal racism, you know, mm-hmm. that's just between me, racist acts between myself and you, um, individuals. And then there's systemic racism. Um, that's one that's not readily apparent to people unless you're affected by it. And mm-hmm. that would be policies, regulations. Um, within institutions, whether that's private or government, um, made by the majority race that produce negative racially disparate outcomes. So you don't have to be a racist to work within a system or institution that produces harmful, disproportionate outcomes when it comes to race. Yeah. And I know it's just you know your first question, like, but like we said, this is this is super important because many of my white brothers and sisters who I love have a really truncated, defunct, 
compartmentalized view of what racism is. Mm -hmm. um, so if you didn't say the N-word or <laughs> you, you didn't lynch anybody or you don't hate people then um, because they're black, then, oh, no, ra no racism. So, And it's important to see racism on a spectrum from your most overt acts like lynching, racial slurs, hating black people, yeah. down to being, you know, uh, opposed to interracial relationships, to implicit bias and stereotypes that cause people to wrongly fear, wrongly judge, mm -hmm. think a race is less smart or more aggressive or more prone to violent, you know, tendencies and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. You know, this is what I would also include within that spectrum what I would call like diet racist offhand comments. You know, some people call that like microaggressions, things like, you know, yeah. when people say I'm not racist, but, and then they end up saying <laughs> something racist, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, thinking or saying that that person only got that job because of a fern of action or a diversity push on the job. It's, it's saying, you know, you're really articulate in, in, uh, to a black person as if the expectation is for them right. not to be articulate. You know, it's, you know, like one of my friends, um, black girl, a uh, person told them she's really pretty for a black girl. You know, it's, mm. it's things like expecting um, or hoping that there is uh, a justification for why a black person was killed instead of your first response is to empathize and, and grieve with mm. those who grieve and things of that nature. It's, uh, it's a lot of different things. It's one big, one big version. It's ignoring the voice of 97% of black people on a race issue and only listening to one voice that makes you feel comfortable mm. or uh, agrees with you on a race. You know, that's, th those are different forms of, uh, you know, implicit or what I call diet racism there. So yeah. most of your minority brother and sister, and I don't speak for everybody, but most of, uh, uh, you know, your mi minority brothers and sisters interpret racism and at least those two prisms, you know, that spectrum of interpersonal racism and mm -hmm. then systemic racism. Uh, you can, some people add cultural as a third, but you know, many of my white brothers and sisters, not all, but many view it as just, you know, that truncated, explicit acts of racism. Yeah. And outside of that, I don't yeah. say anything racist. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think this is one of those things where everyone, you know, that just wants to deny and wants to like wipe away the term like, oh man, it's not really that bad. Or, right. you know, like a lot, a lot of times I think they, they miss the fact that humankind throughout history has always had a problem with treating people who they don't understand or treating mm. people that are a little different than them. Yeah. The, you know, the same, you know, they, they, we've, we've always struggled Nothing with that. Nothing new under the sun. Yeah. So it shouldn't be a surprise. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So like, it shouldn't be a surprise that even though, yeah, we don't have the wicked abuse and the, in the clear, just in your face injustices that we used to have, like we still have the human nature, mm -hmm. which is going to have these roots that run deep. Right. That's helpful to hear. Thanks for spelling that out the way you did. Now that we have that defined, why do you think it is that the church seems to be dropping the ball when it comes to standing with the marginalized in our communities? Yeah, uh, David, that's, that's good. Um, I think for a few reasons. Um, and I, I think there's definitely more, but I'll just maybe mention a few. One, there is a historic legacy or pattern of dropping the ball when it comes to the marginalized and racism, things of that nature. Uh, I mean, just from 1619, the American church, and when I say the American church, the, you know, the American white evangelical church as a whole has been active participants, complicit, 
or at best silent on issues of racial injustice. And I'm talking about some heroes like Jonathan Edwards, you know, had mm-hmm. slaves, and George Woodfield, who was one of the leaders in petitioning the state of Georgia to legalize slavery because it would help fund his orphanage. Wow. Um, you know, most white Christians, not all, but most, regardless of whether they had slaves, were proponents of it or silent about it, you know, dismantling the wicked practice. Yeah. And even after slavery, I, you know, uh, you had many denominations, even this has started before slavery, many Christian denominations had a separation uh, in their church because they did not want blacks in their church you know, local church. And then you could hear people saying, you know, there shouldn't be a black church. And yes, there shouldn't. But the reason why there is, is because the white, historic white church separated from black people and did not want, you know, allow them as part of their, as members, as part of the same local church. Wow. Even many in the civil, you know, the civil rights era, many Christians demonized MLK. I know he's like popular now because (laughs) he's not here. But back then, many people across the spectrum demonized him and other civil rights leaders they called communists and instigators and, you know, rebel risers and disturbers of the peace. Um, You know, people would even twist the Bible to justify, and this happens with slavery too, but twist the Bible to justify segregation as God's plan for the races. Now, you did have Christians, especially during the civil rights movement, that might have agreed that segregation was wrong, but they did not even believe in participating in, in peaceful protests or political activism for the cause of their black brothers and sisters in Christ because they said it would, you know, you hear this often, it, it wouldn't be a gospel issue. You know, you preach mm-hmm. the gospel and all that stuff will go away eventually, right? All yeah. that structures of racism, you know, that's going to go if you just, you know, stick with preaching the gospel. Um, so fighting for the equality and dignity of black lives and having those that equality and dignity expressed in laws and policies and practice, practices has not been a staple of the American church. Yeah. And unfortunately, that legacy continues, and you can point to many ways in 2020. So that's one, um, you know, three-part, uh, you know, I'm still with you here. Yeah. Uh, one is the historic that's one pattern. That's the historical, yeah. okay, so yeah. And then two, and I steal this from a book that everybody should read called Divided by Faith. The author, Emerson, uses a term called the cultural toolkit that many white evangelicals have when it comes to responding to race issues and race injustice and things of that nature. What was the name um, of the author again? Uh, it's, uh, Emerson is one of the authors. I think there's okay. two authors that wrote the book, but Divided by Faith, uh, gotcha. Emerson is one. Uh, if you want to start your journey in understanding the divide of in, in the church when it comes to uh, racism, that is the perfect book to start. One of the things he says is that uh, you know, white evangelicals see things through a prism of a, a free will individualism. So self-responsibility, lift yourself up by your bootstraps. They see, you know, they strongly believe and see that America as a place that gives equal access and opportunity for success and justice for everyone, no matter what. So if you mm-hmm. work hard, you take self-responsibility, everyone has the same chance at success. So if you're poor or your community is poor or you're marginalized, that has more to do with the culture of that community and the initiative of that person than anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, So evangelicals are often blind or just reject systemic reasons for why a group would be marginalized and uh, oppressed. You know, the only thing they would admit to is maybe liberal policies or something like that. Mm -hmm. So empathy and fighting for them is not that big of a deal if you feel that the real problem is them. 
right? That's sure. the inherent problem. If they're the main reason for their plight and it's just victim mentality, you know, you're not going to be very empathetic if that's, if that's what you're working with. Um, you know, as a pastor, I definitely believe in, you know, hard work and self-responsibility and uh, diligence and being committed fathers and husbands and having a positive, positive impact on society. That's important. We need to preach that. But I also believe that people are fallen and fallen people make fallen institutions and those institutions in government and private sectors have systemically disenfranchised people of color. And you can both preach self-responsibility and doing whatever you can do to get yourself in a better situation for yourself and your community. And you can also fight for against systemic injustices that marginalizes your community. You yeah. can do both. You don't have to do one or one or two things. So yeah. again, evangelicals only uh, view things through that one individual, uh, you know, prism there. And then yeah. lastly, again, there's more, I would say there is a tendency and you've probably seen this, uh, David, uh, or a pattern to as associate things like social justice, racism, diversity, fighting against racism, whether that be systemic, systemic or personal. They, they associate it, stuff like that with the voices that they don't trust on things like sanctity of life, religious freedom, and traditional okay. values. So if popular society is pushing for it, Mm -hmm. If liberals are fighting for it, if this person is fighting for it, then it's, it can't be that bad of a thing yeah. or it's exaggerated at best and things of that nature, right? Sure. So uh, this is just being used to push a you know, liberal leftist agenda, right? Right. And that's, uh, man, David, that's like really unfortunate because you let the secular culture define or lead on issues that God's people should be champions of, right? Sure. So God, our God, right, is yeah. the God of justice, of righteousness, of impartiality, of love, whose heart is with the widow, the poor, uh, the disenfranchised. That's who our God is, and God's people should lead on that. Mm -hmm. And we need to, you know, stop judging movements and ideas, but and we need to start judging movements and ideas, I should say, based on if it's biblical, not yeah. if a conservative or liberal is for it or against it. All truth you yeah. would say this, all truth is God's truth. So, you yeah. know, if an atheist or secular professor or a liberal says something that is true about racism or justice and we agree to it, it's not because we're compromising and borrowing from their worldview. No, they're borrowing from our worldview, the Christian ethic, you mm -hmm. know. So our calls for justice, speaking up for oppressed, the poor and different disenfranchised are rooted much deeper than like virtue signaling or moralism, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's rooted in the heart of God of the, in the gospel, you know, justice mm -hmm. and righteousness come from God's throne. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to be, we have to be, we have to, you know, if we're going to grow in this, be like what Isaiah says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the widow's uh, case. Uh, you know, you know that, that verse in James when he talks about we see a brother in need is wicked or hypocritical for us to say, be warmed and filled. Well, I'll pray sure. for you, right? I'll pray for you, bro. <laughs> You'll be all right. And when we have the means to help out. Yeah. Gospel people help the marginalized. And that's what God's people do. Yeah. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's really a great perspective to hear because I don't think we hear that enough. Mm. We, you know, and I mean, you you got my wheels turning as you were talking about this. I think a lot of what you're saying this comes down to: Am I going to get outside of myself? Mm. You know, I think this is a problem across the board with 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 Christianity. Like, mm. you know what I mean? Like, doesn't matter what kind of 
what kind of church you're in, what kind of community you're in. We always are going to have this inner struggle where we can get selfish right. and we can focus on what, what, what's comfortable for us, what feels good for me. And that's not the mind of Christ. Like what mm. it, this really, it really parallels what you're saying because we don't need to worry about what somebody else is saying about this. Right. We we don't need to worry about how we feel about it. That's good. We should put ourselves in that other person's position, mm. just like Jesus Christ came down for us and He sacrificed Himself for us. That's good. Like we we gain empathy, we gain compassion and care and concern for other when we see that we were wandering far from God. He sent Christ into this world after us to to save us. We've been given that mercy, that grace. And right. that should produce an effort in our own hearts and desires to to serve others. And so I think really, you know, the original question, in case you forgot at this point, was like, uh, why is the church so bad at standing up for marginalized people? And I think, you know, specifically, I, every, every church I've ever been a part of, and I mean, myself included, we all have a tendency to just think about ourselves and, and not look at it from the other person's perspective. And if we just did that, and that's, that's when you start seeing a difference. When you start seeing Christians looking out and putting themselves, Oh, I want to, I want to sympathize with you because Mm. I'm listening. I'm going to put an armor on your shoulder kind of thing. And that, that will change our outlook on it too. Amen. And I think if we don't, if we don't teach our children about the biblical gospel ethic of justice and speaking up for the marginalized, uh, and and they don't they don't see it from God's perspective. Then popular culture is going to be left to teach them, right? Right. So if we care about that, we need to make sure we are front runners on this with our with the next generation. So yeah, that's so true. Yeah, and you were also talking about you know this this kind of goes hand in hand. Like you know I've heard it plenty of times. Like oh man, you know being a victim isn't going to hurt help you. You know, and you're when you're saying that about them, like okay, well that's true. Like we all we all acknowledge like if you're if you're just playing the victim card and you're just right, dwelling right, right. on everything that went wrong your way, it, it is going to hold you back. Like mm-hmm. we all know that, but it's not our job as someone sitting across the fence to point a finger at somebody else and say, "Hey, don't be a victim. What's your problem?" Like that's not our job to to do that. That that would be that would be somebody if if you had someone in your church perhaps right? right like that was that was doing that somebody who's right there with them is going to probably be able to speak better into right. that would am i no, yeah. see what so, I'm yeah saying? and i i think like i said you can you can both recognize that regardless of systemic racism and racism is real regardless of the hurdles that you have to advance is still uh, through the power of Christ and trusting in Him, we have to do what we can by God's grace yeah. to live for Him and be successful. We can't use racism or the white man as an excuse. You know, I, when I'm preaching to my church and to uh, my, my youth group, you know, I'm not telling them, hey, racism is going to hold you back or something. That might be yeah. an obstacle. These are things that we need to fight to dismantle. Right. But you need to trust the Lord and do what you can to be a good follower of Christ, a good husband. Mm-hmm. But you can you can you can preach that, but you can also recognize there there are systems of injustice that are holding communities back. Mm-hmm. You can do both things, not one and the other. Sure. It's, it's when when somebody has been hurt, you know, uh, is stabbed, and you say, "Hey, quit being a victim," you know, yeah. like some he's, what do you mean? Why, you, why do you have this victim mentality? You know, <laughs> right. when, you, when you mention that victim mentality, uh, not you, I'm just saying people. Yeah. It, you are showing that you are not seeing or acknowledging real things, trauma yeah. and, and, and setbacks has happened, you know? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. It's it's it's, it's it really insensitive. Yeah, yeah, it creates more yeah. pension. You know, this person's hurt and in pain. And he said, don't be a victim. You know, right. tough it up. Get yourself out of we that. Even that. though you stabbed me in the back. You yeah. Know? Yeah. We don't do that in any other any other situation. Like, we need to first stop being a victim, you know, mm-hmm. where the person was victimized, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. you know, you need to point them to the gospel and 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 do what you can to help and comfort them. So yeah, we yeah. wouldn't do that to any other situation, but we do it with race. That's hope. That's hopeful. You know, this is my next question I have for you. Like, I don't know how much time you want to spend on this, but. Um, I think it would be helpful for some of us to hear. Yeah, you know, yeah. what what is it like all day. for yeah. What is it like to be a black man living in the upstate of South Carolina, like in twenty twenty? You know, are there places that you don't want to go or so there are some things that make you uncomfortable that being a white person you may not be familiar with with the same experience that you have? Yeah. Um I mean let me. When I came from Illinois, you know we we're both from Illinois. Yeah. It's, it's different than being down south, to right. say the least. I remember driving down uh, from school, and uh, especially when I was by myself, I would only stop at places that were bigger cities where I knew there were going to be some black people there. Sure. I would not stop at a restaurant um, or a gas station that I didn't feel there's going to be other people of color there. Because you know you yeah. hear stories about different things, racism, more overt acts of racism in the South. And yeah. even to this day, you know, when my wife and I are traveling down South, you know, we, we are stopping at strategic places where we know uh, we don't just stop anywhere. Mm-hmm. Another thing that was prevalent down here um, that I had to get used to was, uh, and I, you know, I still don't like it, but I'm, I understand a little bit but. Uh, I guess better is Confederate flags, you know, mm-hmm. uh, up North. If you had, I don't know if it's like that from where you are. I'm from Springfield and yeah. and my family's from Chicago, but if you had a Confederate flag, that was a statement. You were outwardly racist. Um, you right. were not trying to be subtle. Now, now I still disagree, but down here you have not a lot of nice Southern white folk with Confederate flags and they yeah. view it more as a cultural thing than a racial thing, but it's still, to most black people, very racial. Uh, I remember yeah. uh, coming to down to school my freshman year. Again, I'm from Illinois, yeah. and my my when I saw when I thought Confederate flag, I thought KKK. That same thing, right? <laughs> um, and then I come to school, and somebody down the hall, you probably uh, know the the door or whatever, they had a Confederate flag, you know. And I remember, oh, free, yeah. I'm like, what in the world? You know, I'm running to my the hall leader. I'm like, they can't have this, you know. This, you know, they need to get kicked yeah. out and everything. You have to yeah. set me aside and stuff like that. And um, as nice as some, you know, white folks are um, with them, especially Christians, I still disagree with the promotion and flying around because most black people cannot separate the legacy of chattel slavery, rape, family separation, white supremacy when we see that flag. I understand that people, you know, yeah, heritage of you know heritage and stuff like that, but we it, we don't separate that. It's heritage sure. of hate, you know. Sure. And uh, yeah. but those are just you know some things like that that were different, um, you know, when I came down here. Yeah. Um, but I love I love it down here. Uh, love the food. Yes. I've gained a lot of weight, so you can tell that <laughs> I love the food and stuff like that. Um, they know people. how to cook food um, down here. Yeah, but even though we're both from Illinois, I met my wife down here. So nice. Um, yeah. We have talked in our church a lot recently about the heart level, how every systemic problem that we see, really, if you boil it down to the root of it, it comes from an individual problem. You know, we, we, John Piper has talked about how he's had a popular piece that's out there right now, how structural racism is a child of structural pride. Oh yeah, that's a good article. 
as a Christian, how have you seen, as a, as a pastor, how have you seen individual heart change start to bend the tide in our culture? Yeah. Um, you know, if I'm speaking at first in relation to the church, yeah. I think the last maybe seven years, more so I think the last four years, many of my uh, evangelical brothers and sisters are starting to wake up to the glaring divide between the fellow black and brown image bearers. Um, that divide becomes readily apparent when we have tragedies like George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, um, Breonna Taylor. But also, you know, that divide becomes readily apparent to responses to Black Lives Matter or Kaepernick or, or litany of other issues. Mm-hmm. And people seeing that divide and recognizing that th- that shouldn't be and are, are hurt by that are starting to read more, build deeper relationships with their black brothers and sisters in Christ, listen better. And I, th- I have seen in, in certain people, uh, certain pastors, certain ministries, real growth in these areas. Now, we still have a lot of room to grow. And for every person, you know, I met with the pastor earlier today. It was, it was very encouraging. I'm like, man, he got his head on straight. Nice. Um, but for every person I meet with like that, there's a handful more that is very discouraging. I'm like, well, you know, right. Jesus come quickly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, so, uh, but to, I guess the more answer your question, um, yes, gr- gospel trans- transformation in people's heart is is the most potent catalyst to have a sustaining and powerful impact on race issues, personally or systemically, but we can't just preach the gospel. We have to apply the gospel in the area of racism and injustice. We have to yeah. grow in the gospel. We have to disciple people uh, a, a, about who God is and his hatred for injustice and love for justice and righteousness. Um, you know, we have to, we have to do that specifically uh, with people in our in our church. It's like when you get the new heart, yep. you start using your platform, right? I mean, yeah. that's kind of what you're saying. It's like you start, your conversations start changing mm-hmm. and, and where you work. And if you have people who work for you, like how you, how you treat your employees starts changing. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at scripture, you, you see the Bible always addressing the heart before yep. it just attacks. Like even, even in scripture, the Bible talks about slavery. Like, I mean, that's a whole other can of worms we're opening up here, but like, it's not, it's never condones it never does, but it's never like outright attacking the, the structure of the society. And I mean, Mm -hmm. you, you know, this as well as anyone, like it's not necessarily, it wasn't always a race, racial thing. It was, it was, it was, there was a lot of other economic factors. Yeah. Slavery back then. And now it's totally different. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, and America is totally different, but yes. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, keep going. I mean, uh, no, yeah. no, that was good. No, yeah. that was good. But my point is that is that we have to have a more robust biblical and gospel-centered worldview on racism and racial right. injustice. You know, we whether it be talking about sanctification and impurity or anger, we apply the gospel and apply it specifically and call it out by name. Yeah, and we grow in those areas. But with racism, we just kind of leave it. General, you know, Paul <laughs> did not so just stop with Ephesians one through three. He had four through six where he applied yep. imp- gospel imperatives, and we need to do that with racist injustice. And unfortunately, uh, David, uh, like 
the world, the liberal world has been more of an ally to black people on these issues than the evangelical church. And that should not be mm-hmm. because society, unsafe society is not a stable ally. What's moral and right to them changes with the culture. Mm-hmm. So I need a body of Christ of every tribe and nation to come alongside their brothers and sisters in Christ and be committed to fighting racial injustice because we know these are God's ideals That's good. that never change, right? This is not, That's you know, good. just virtuous signaling, you know, the great, I believe the church has the potential to have the greatest force in fighting against racism and and for justice, because that is who our God is. But we have to recognize that and and fight that and uh, and fight for that instead of, you know, leaving it to the to the liberals, yeah, whatever you want to call terrib- it. Yeah, know. if we drop the ball on that, it's never gonna it's never gonna be won. No, you know no, I mean? no, no, it's, no. It's never gonna change because we are the ones who actually understand what real love is. Amen. Amen. And yeah. and yeah, you're you're just spot on there. That's what we need to hear. Well, hey man, this this is really good. I I hate to even wrap this up, but last question I have for you right now, and and maybe we can do this thing another time, but to end this really on on a positive note, I know, and this is going to be a challenge as well, but how can we as a diverse body of Christ, a church has different socioeconomic classes, different yeah. racial groups, like just, you know, different stages of, of life. Yep. Um, I mean, you, you can apply this in a lot of ways. We're, we're talking specifically about race right now, mm-hmm. but like, how can we as different people come together under the name of Jesus Christ and thrive in unity together? What are just Amen. some helpful tips for us there? I would say a couple principles. One, um, embrace our diversity in Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this specifically talking about with racial ethnic diversity, uh, we really need to put the the nail in the coffin of this like colorblind stuff that people have, you know, it's like yeah. diversity is a gift of God. And I know people mean well, but you know, um, <laughs> yeah. when you say, you know, you're colorblind, it says, Hey, I don't really see you and everything. And, um, yeah. this, you see the, a colorful picture of God's plan in the gospel from old Testament, to the new Testament, it's, Underline and emphasize in the eschaton of people of every tribe, tongue, and nation, glorifying yeah. God and glorifying Christ of the land that was slain for us. This is something that we should highlight, right? Celebrating yeah. our, uh, you know, our divinely made racial differences as a reflection of the gospel. And then, you know, when you have different people of different backgrounds, different stages in his life, there's different perspectives and you, mm-hmm. you listen and you learn. It doesn't mean that they're automatically right because they're, because of their, you know, singleness or their blackness that sure. make, but sure. we, we get another perspective and a viewpoint that makes us stronger as a body when we really listen to each other. Um, that's why, you know, as much as you're able, diversity and leadership in the churches is, is important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're teaching your kids about diversity, but just, yeah, not just diversity of, of race and ethnicity, but just all diversity within the church. You know, some people are eyes, Paul says, some people are hands, you know, you got some people are gifted with technology. Um, some people not so much. Some people are athletic, and we. And it's a beautiful thing that God. God loves the diverse gifts, diverse body, and we need to re- celebrate our differences and and all of its uh, and beauty as 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 one. But then also, um, you know, embracing our unity as Christ. Um, mm. 
you know, there's a lot of different things that God has, the gifts and struggles and weaknesses and, and strengths that God's given us, but we, there's a lot more the same than we are different. Um, and we have a bond that's deeper than equality, right? We are actually one body, right? We are one in Christ. We are yes. fellow heirs to the promise. We are one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, you know, one baptism, you know, one God, the Father in all and through us all and everything like that. So, you know, yeah, we make up different ethnicities, but we are still one in Christ. And, and Jesus Amen. has, he's broken down that dividing wall of hostility that separated us and has reconciled us to God and each other. And that's a, that's not something like, you know, we talk about work to, to achieve, you know, no, Jesus has achieved it. That's an objective gospel reality, right? right? And we are working to maintain to what he already achieved. And we need to view each other as family, as one. So hmm. when your brother is hurt, you hurt too. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. and you, you you're doing whatever you can to get him to be comforted. You know, when you're when when somebody gets a promotion or something happy happens, we're rejoicing with them like that happened to us. That's real oneness and unity. You know, that's that's viewing each other as a blood bought family of Christ. That you bear one another burdens and you rejoice with one who rejoices. So. You know, diversity in Christ and oneness in Christ are not like at war with each other. We need to celebrate w- both. And if we see each other, we both got glasses on. Mm-hmm. And if we see each other with gospel corrected lenses instead mm-hmm. of politics and defensiveness, mm-hmm. then that's going to foster unity and oneness amidst, you know, diversity. And I think that's what we, we really need to embrace those truths holistically. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, brother. That is what we needed to hear, and this is gonna this is gonna be very, very practical for for all of us regular listeners of the Doxa Dialogue. And and if you're new, joining us for the first time, uh, welcome. Glad glad to have you. And this is something we do on the regular, where we we just try to have a real conversation around mm-hmm. a table and discuss things that need to be discussed. And I really thank you for your time. Thank no. you so much for bringing it. Was a, it was a pleasure, man. Um, yeah, we have to do this again on yeah. maybe, whether it's this or something else, man. It was fun. We'll find some. We'll find a better a better occasion to come around yes. again. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you so much, Pastor Ben Gordon. Thank you. That's all we have for today. We're looking forward to having a few more interviews this summer. So stay tuned for those. You are love.